Okay. <clears throat> Good morning. Good to see you. Good to see you. So we're here today and we're here to learn a little bit further in Parshas Nayach, Baruch Hashem. And this is how you should make it. Noach begins to get the instructions of HaKadosh Baruch Hu about how he should make it. Now, in truth, in a certain sense, it's not the beginning. The previous Pasuk was the beginning of the instruction. It said, make for yourself a teva of atze gopher of gopher wood. Kinim tases ateva. You should make it with chambers. You should cover it inside and out with pitch, with kofir. We talked about those specifics of the instruction last time. And we've had a discussion about the general uh, the general value of um, of Noach building a teva. Today we're going to Bezos Hashem sharpen the discussion as we look at this pasuk, which says, and this is how you should make it. Three hundred amos was the length of the teva. Fifty amos was the width. Thirty amos was the height. Very specific dimensions are being given here for the construction of the mishkan. What's the significance? of the specifics of these instructions. Such great specifics Hashem gives Noach for this particular construction project. It's interesting. It's a little surprising. If I can share with you, it's not on the sheet. Maybe it could have been on the sheet. Right? writes the Ibn Ezra here when he writes about the specific instructions of the building of the Teva. The height was a tenth of the length. Right? It was 30 amos tall, 300 amos long. Here you have naval engineering. Right? You should, you should make it one-tenth. The height should be one-tenth of the length so it will float on the surface of the water and not be blown over by the wind. If it's too tall... It's not going to be good. It'll be. It'll teeter. It'll fall. It'll blow over. Make it thirty amos tall to three hundred amos long. Hakadosh Baruch Hu would be giving Moshe Rabbeinu, according to this, uh, you know, practical instructions in order that it'll be able to be a balanced boat, and it won't. Uh, it won't flip. Uh, flip over. The Radak says the same thing, and he quotes the Medrash, Bracious Rabbah, that says, The Torah teaches you from here and forever. You need to be practical when you build your boats. I know a lot of you have that project going, especially Stanley with all that water over his shoulder, right? So, so when you build the boat, make sure that the width is a sixth of the length, and the height is a tenth of the length. And then you'll have the right dimensions to have a balanced boat so that it'll be able to float on the water without keeling over. Now, you might recall that when it speaks about a teva, the, I think I mentioned last week, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, that maybe I didn't mention it, but the, 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 the Ibn Ezra, in fact, says that it's called a teva as opposed to a svina. A teva is not the word you usually use for a boat because a, a boat has direction. A boat fl- sails across the ocean. You have to be able to direct it. It has mishotim. It might have oars or sails or whatever it is that makes it move. The teva wasn't going anyplace. The teva just had to, what's the expression, float the boat, right? That's all that, that's all that was needed. It didn't have to have direction. But nevertheless, it still may serve in a certain sense as a prototype this is a model of the right dimensions if you don't want the boat to flip over. That's one aspect here. <clears throat> That's one possibility. However, we can accept that on a certain level, and we have to go further and deeper on another level. On the certain level that we accept it, it's because we, um, we, we learned already that uh, there's a certain derech 
there's a certain derechateva, there's a certain natural method which is being used here in building the teva, that the teva should be a, a, a normal effort that Noah would make in order to be able to save the Jewish people during, save the world, rather, excuse me, during this mabel. On the other hand, so therefore we could have practical dimensions that would be sensible in shipbuilding, in the shipbuilding enterprise. But on the other hand, we have another consideration. And that other consideration is that none of this can be considered to be natural. The teva, as the Ramban said, not one teva, not ten tevos of these dimensions would be enough to be able to contain all of that which was there in the world that had to be contained within it and food for a year for all of that. So that's one problem. Another problem, of course, is that the Mabel was cataclysmic. And how do you think you're going to be able to build a boat that will be able to survive a cataclysmic event of hot water boiling the planet, eradicating everything up to three tfachim, three fist breaths of the earth are going to be churned up by the soil and you're going to make the great Titanic? You're going to make the great boat that's going to be able to survive anything? What's going on here? It's a nest. It's a miracle. And if it's a miracle, then we have to understand, so HaKadosh Baruch Hu is still giving him instructions. So one way to do is to follow the path that we just said from the Radak and the Medrash. The Hashem says, look, it's a miracle. It's miraculous that anything will be able to survive. But let me at least give you something that works that works in the way of nature. And it may not be strong enough in the way of nature to be able to withstand the storm that I'm planning to bring, but in the broader sense, it is strong, and it's, uh, it's enough that we could say that you did something, that you made some kind of a human effort. That's the school of thought that that medrash, that's the school of thought that that medrash that the Radak quotes, that the Ibn Ezra's approach is following. However, there's another thing here. And that other thing is what we're going to be talking about, focusing on this morning and understanding in terms of the teva. It's a big thing. It's a big deal. And that is that this is one of two major construction projects that we have in the Tyra. Two major construction projects, both of which the Torah gives a tremendous amount of detail and instruction about what that construction project is supposed to look like. One of them is the building of the Teva, and the other one is the building of the Mishkan, the Migdash. And this is how you should make it. You know, there's a Medrash in the Pirkid Rebeliezer, I didn't get a chance to include it on the sheet, that says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu pointed to it, he pointed to it and he said, and this is it. This is what it should look like. You know that, that says, it says that several times when it comes to the, to the Mishkan. Right? The Pirkei Rebbe says, Be'etzba ha'reyu ha'kodesh baruch hu l'nayach v'am He pointed with a finger. He said, make it this way, make it that way. I remember, v'zeh ma'aseh ha'menorah mikshazov. This is the way the menorah is supposed to be made. Right, so Chazal say, Moshe didn't know exactly what it was. HaKadosh Baruch Hu showed it to him. And he said, this is how you should make it. I did include on the sheet a medrash also from Reish's Rabbah that says as follows. This and this you will measure future with your Amma. That's what the Pasuk mean, what means when it says, the length of the Amais, using the original Amma, 60 long and 20 wide. Why does it call it Amma Tevikin? It it was called the Amma Tabikin because it started with the Teva, Teva, Tavikin, Teva. Amma Rishaina, 
Right? The convention was to call it Amatavikin. It was based on the Teva. The first time the Amais were used was with the Teva. But they would be used as well in the future for the building of the Mishkan. Now that's cool, right? Okay, what's an Amma? What's a cubit, right? Bill Cosby, I can't mention his name. But whatever it is, you know, what, what, you know what's, what, what's, a, what's a cubit? Right? So here we know, this was the first time a cubit was used. But it's much, much deeper than that, of course. They built a Teva, and they built a Mishkan. And they were two sides of a coin. Why would you think so? Why would you think that they needed to be two sides of a coin? The Teva was very, very different than the Mishkan. The Teva was a place where the world was saved, a place which was built so that nothing should come in, that it should be a bubble, and shouldn't be affected by the world outside of it. The Mishkan was built as a radiant center for the whole world. Now the Gemara says that the windows in the Mishkan were such that instead of having the light built, they, they, they were made, you know, you could have a window where it's narrow on one side and wide on the other side. Usually you would have it narrow on the outside and wide on the inside so the light would come in from the outside and light up the room, right? It spreads out as it gets into the room. But in the Mishkan, in the Migdash rather, it was the other way around. It was narrow from the inside and broad on the outside because the, it was Irish Elam, it was there to radiate to the entire world. It's a very, very different structure. It's a very, very different purpose, it would seem. But here we are linking them. The language of the Pusik itself, the nature of the instruction itself, inherently links them. Both of them were built with very specific instructions from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When it came to the Mishkan, why, were there, why did there have to be such specific instructions? Can you tell me why there have to be such specific instructions? Build a nice building, build a temple. Why did there have to be such specific instructions? So we'll see. But there were very specific instructions. Over here by the table, why did there have to be such specific instructions? There were very specific instructions. And the Amma here is recalled later by the building of the Migdash. The Amma Tebikyon, the Amma of the Teva, the Amma Harishayna, the original Amma, the Amma of Noyach. So let's probe this and think about this a little bit. Now there isn't a ton of commentary on this Pasuk. But I do want to share with you a little bit of... Uh, of um, commentary that we do find on this, an astounding, astounding commentary, which is found, uh, which is found in the, um, in the commentary of the Kliyokar, right, the Kliyokar is a classic commentary on the Chumash that has gotten broader usage, right, it's a, I think, 18th century or 19th century of Ephraim of Leshnitz, Right, and it's gotten broader usage because it is uh, it is published in the standard Mikros Gedolos Chumashim, and it's a it's a very elaborate and beautiful commentary. And I want to share with you. We don't do much from the Kliyokar as a group together. I want to share with you a comment here of the Kliyokar that is outstanding in its in its fascinating complexity. Okay, like what are you going to say on this? So you're going to try to figure out what do these numbers indicate. So here, listen to what he writes. Why does the Torah tell us what should be its length, its width, and its height? He says, for two reasons. Reason number one is to tell you the magnitude of the miracle. That this small space was able to contain so much. There were huge creatures in there, like elephants. So this is what was built, but nevertheless, it was able to contain all of this to underscore the miracle that we mentioned earlier on the part of the Ramban, that this was a miracle. They built a big teva, but it was no way that it was big enough. 
So maybe that's why it says it. The second thing, says the Kliyakar, the, the is because it's trying to tell you that the Mabul came as a result of Znus, as a result of immorality. As it says, Remember that Pasuk back in Parshas Bereshis? where it began to describe the corruption that led to the Mabul, what did it say? That the children of the princes saw the daughters of man, that they were beautiful, and they took whichever wives they pleased. Right? Remember, that was the description. We spoke about that as that theft, because they were taking advantage of them without asking permission. Or was that immorality? But we saw a lot of stuff about immorality. The way of the Dorha Mabul, right? That they would take two wives one to have children that they neglected and one, to, one that they didn't want to have children with. The, the, the immorality and their level of indulgence in immorality. Hishchis kolbosar es it's the wasting of seeds. So many things we saw in that realm that led to the, to the Mabul. Says the Kliyokor, the dimensions here indicate that. Okay, are you ready for a flight here of creativity? Listen to what he says. Right? They, they, they sinned with Rabba Rasa Adam, and as such they were, they were judged that way. He says the name of Hashem starts with Yud and Hey. And sometimes we use that name as the name of Hashem, right? Ka, ki Hashem The Yud and He is a name of Hashem which we see as coming in the harmonious and magnificent relationship between a man and a woman. Why? Remember what the Gemara says in Sota? There's the word Ish and the word Isha. They both have the name, they both have the word Ish, fire in them. Fire, as you know, could be a destructive thing. But fire could also be energy. The fire of Hashem's presence that stood at Har Sinai, that was over the Mishkan. The fire of Hashem's presence that came down into the Beis HaMikdosh to consume the Korbanos and was the constant representation of Hashem's presence within the the Mikdosh. But what else is there? In the name of man, there's a Yud, which makes Eish into Ish. In the name of woman, there's a He, which makes Eish into Isha. Put together the Yud and the He of the woman, what do you have? The name of Hashem. If a man and woman come together successfully, Zochu, if they are privileged, they bring together the Shechina. The Yud and the He is the Shechina that's Shruya Beinayim, the presence of Hashem that's in their midst. Beautiful thing, famous Gemara. What's Yud and He? 15. When there's Nus, what are you lacking? You're lacking the Yud and the He. I will have in a couple of weeks, in a few weeks, we're going to read Parshas Pinchas. In Parshas Pinchas, we have the second census of the Jewish people in the Midbar. It's called, remember, Midbar is called the book of Numbers, Chumasha Pekudim, because we're counted in the beginning of Midbar and we're counted at the end of Midbar in Pinchas. The generation that came out of Mitzrayim, the generation that would go into Eretz Yisrael. In Parshas Pinchas, it counts and says, Mishpachas, Haruveni, right? Ha Yitzari, Chevroini, Uzieli, It always says Ha blank E, right? And Chazal say Rashi quotes because we want to attach to the family names a Yud and a He. We t- attach to the family names a Yud and a He. And that Yud and He represent the Shechina. Why are we doing that? Because they're getting the divine seal of approval. Shifte ka edus li Yisrael. The tribes of Ka, of the Yud and the He, it's a testimony to the Jewish people. What does that mean, it's a testimony to the Jewish people? Because people said, huh, they were in the Mitzrayim for all those years. The Mitzrayim enslaved them, they took advantage of them. Without a doubt, they must have taken advantage of the women. And therefore, the children are probably not Jewish children. They're probably from some mixed breed, mixed lineage. No. There's a Yud and the He. Hashem asserts that this came from a holy marriage between the, the, the men and the women of the Jewish people. Yud and He asserts to the purity, 
to the lack of immorality, to the lack of zanus. Continues the, the Arachayim HaKadosh. So in the Dora Mabul you would have a breakdown of the Yud and the He. So where do, you, where do you see the number 15 here at all? So listen to what he does. It's incredible, incredible. He writes, V'schalik me'em yud v'hei nishar eish, v'eish k'moy shenemar ki eish hi ad avadayin t'echel. Eish destroys. V'zehu shomru chazal b'reischen kilchulu v'reischen idaynu. That's why they say it was with hot water that they were judged in the mabal. It was that fire because because they absented Hashem's presence. They brought the fire upon themselves. And so we find in this parsha, the number 15, in a whole number of places. Shenemar, as it says, 15 amos above, the waters were strengthened. How much did the waters rise above the surface of the earth? 15 Amos, which is Yud and Hay. Wow. Continues the, the, uh, the, the Kliokar. How long did the water grow on the surface of the earth? What does it say in the Pasuk? 150 days, which is a multiple of 15. Continues. And the dimensions of the Teva do the same thing. Why? What's 300 by 50? What's 300 by 50 is 15,000, right? It was 15,000 square feet. There were 15,000 square amos. Ushloishim ama kaimosa, and it was 30 amos of height, right? Which also again multiplies more on the same way. And I had three levels. So if you take it and it's 30 amos tall, and each level is there are three levels, each one was ten, and it was a box. So then what do you have? You have fifteen thousand times ten. So it's hundred and fifty thousand cubic amos. Always the fifteens. Says the 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 uh, the 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 Kliokor, so these fifteens that were in the Teva came to combat the 15s that were trying to destroy the Teva, the 15 Amos, the 150 days. Why is that? Because that's what it was about. It was about Yud and He. It was about that Shechina, which is present when there's morality and absent when there's immorality. Interesting. Guys, you find it interesting? I was like, it's, it's, it's wild. Continues. Listen to, to the next comparison. This is going to take us afield. There was a righteous king. His name was Chizkiyahu. How righteous was Chizkiyahu? So righteous. How righteous was Chizkiyahu, really? The Chazal say that he could have been the Mashiach. Chizkiyahu could have been the Mashiach. But Chizkiyahu was also told by the Navi Yermiyahu that he was going to die. And he had to plead, and he had to cry, and he did. And he was given a stay, that he would live longer. What was the stay? What was the extent of the stay that he was given? He was given 15 extra years of life. Ooh, interesting. Why was Chizkiyot supposed to die, and why was he given 15 extra years of life? He was supposed to die, the Gemara says, because he did not engage in procreation. He did not try to have children. Now, he had a good reason why he didn't want to have children. What was the reason? Because he had Beruach HaKodesh. He had with divine inspiration that if he would have a child, the child would be very destructive. And he did have a child. His name was Menashe, and he was very destructive. He brought about the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. But the Navi told him, it's none of your business what Ruach HaKodesh says, you have a mitzvah, 
to engage in Purivarivia, you should engage in Purivarivia. <clears throat> he was told because of the fact that he wasn't going to engage in Purivarivia, you will die, you won't live here, and you won't live there in the world to come. This person who could have been Mashiach. Why? So he says the same thing. He, he didn't bring together, in a positive way, the Ishvi'isha. And that's why when he did tshuva, and he did it, so what happened? The Navi said to him, I'm going to give you 15 more years. The Kliyokar even adds a very interesting twist. The Pasuk says in Yeshayo, Perek Lamedches Pasuk Behold, he will add on your, on your life 15 years. Now, Hinani is I. Behold, I, he will add. Hinani Yosef. It's not normal grammar. Normal grammar would be Hinani Yosef al Yomecha. Says the Kliokar. Well, what are the Rashi Tevis of Hinani Yosef? Is He and Yud. There you go again. The same Yud and He, the same 15. Remes. Now, that's good. Cool stuff, right? You ain't seen nothing yet. I, exer- I ex- encourage everyone to please take your right hand and hold on to your right sock and take your left hand and hold on to your left sock because otherwise, I'm telling you, this is one's going to knock your socks right off. Continues the Kliyokar. That's what it concludes in Mesecha Sukkah. What does it discuss in Mesecha Sukkah in the last parak, Chalil? It's about the Simchas Beis HaShayeva, the celebration of the drawing of the waters. And it speaks all about the waters. And it speaks about, as well, the Simchas Beis HaShayeva, where what did they do? They said Shira Malos. They said the Shira Malos as they walked down the steps from the Ezra's Noshim to the Ezra's Yisrael, walked up the steps from the Ezra's Noshim to Ezra's Yisrael, walked down to go out. How many steps were there? Fifteen. How many, that's why there are fifteen Shir Hamalos in Tehillim. Listen to what the Gemara says in Sukkah. Kishakara David Ashis in Bikesh Hatoim Lohatsif Alma, Ach Omar David Chamesh Esri Shira Malis, the Aske. Okay, so it's a Gemara. You know what? Could you indulge me for a second because I didn't bring this Gemara here? I'll be back in one minute. I'm going to get the Gemara. I want to read it to you. It's not fully quoted here. It's unbelievable. So gishmak. The Gemara asked. Rav Chizda asked one of the Rabbanon that was saying the Agadita in front of, in front of, uh, in front of him. Do you know what these fifteen mailos, these fifteen steps are? When David dug the shisin, what were the shisin? The shisin were the, the tubes, the pipes, that were by the Migdosh, where they would pour the libations. So they were supposed to go down to the guts of the world. It actually hit the water table, so to speak. And the waters of the depths wanted to float up, and flood the world once again, like they had once before by the Mabul. Omar David David Amelach said the fifteen Shira Malos, and they descended. Says the Gemara, if that's the case, they shouldn't be called the fifteen steps. Step sounds like step Malos are up. This is to, to to have them go down. This should have been called the fifteen Yardos, not Malos. Answers the Gemara, Amar Le Hoyel Viad Karton. 
Hachiyitmar. You're right. You reminded me. This is what it should be. The waters wanted to float up to destroy the world. And David HaMelech used the name of Hashem, wrote it on a piece of clay, and he threw it in to calm the waters. However, after that happened, the waters went down so far that there was no moisture in the earth coming down, coming from the depths. So he had to bring it up. So he said the 15 shiramalos to bring it up. That's what the Gemara says over here. Says the, the, the Kliyokar, you see over here that they wanted to flood the world because of the 15. And the 15 that was said right now here by the shiramalos brought it back to life in the positive sense and where were the 15 steps? Between the Ezra's Noshim and the Ezra's Yisrael. Between the section where the women could go and the section where only the men could go. Isn't that amazing? Wow. That's why we speak, of course, when we say that, you know, a house is supposed to be like a miniature migdash. It's not a little thing. The houses where the Shechina is supposed to be Shora, where the Shechina is supposed to rest. Just like the Migdash is where the Shechina is supposed to rest. Says the Kliokor in this amazing, elaborate commentary that the dimensions of the, of the Teva demonstrated that it was there to remedy having the Shechina be Shora. And the Shechina was absent from the world at this point in time and instead was replaced by a furious fire instead of a pleasant the sweetness of a pleasant cohabitation. Instead it was the huge and intense and destructive fire, so to speak, the waters of the Mabul that instead would come in and wreak havoc. Wreak havoc on this world. That's the that's the that's the that's the tension here, and that's the that's what the fifteen shiramalos are there to do. So, what do we want to extract from this kliyakar? Well, it's just again. First of all, it's wow. You know, look at the depth of the idea that he's teaching here. But we're learning that when we speak about the dimensions of the mishkan, if we're going to accept even a little bit of what the kliyakar has to say over here. Number one, again, we have a reminder of the Migdash, the 15 steps of the Migdash. We have a, 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 a framing of the Mishkan, of the Teva, excuse me, as a place where the Shechina has to rest. Just like the Mishkan was a place where the Shechina has to, has to rest. And we can understand that it has to be there. Because in a great sense, what happened here was that we had caused a removal of HaKadosh Baruch Hu from the world and now we have to bring it back. The Teva is to somehow on some level try to salvage the presence of Hashem within the world. Let's remind ourselves of what it says at the beginning of the fifth chapter of Pirkei Avos, where it gives that thumbnail sketch of the world and it says that there are ten generations Ten statements which Hashem used to create the world. To tell you that the tzaddik upholds a world that's made with ten statements. Ten is a, a wholeness. I know you would prefer, according to this, that it would be fifteen statements, right? right? But the idea was that the material world, the physical world, which we say, with the Yud and the Hey, Hashem created the world. With the Yud, Hashem created the Shomayim. And with the Hay, HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the earth. Ki Hashem But there's the Yud, the Maral of Prague explains beautifully that the Hay that creates the world is a letter Dalid, which refers to the four dimensions, the Arba Kanfes, or its physicality. And it has a little Yud there in the corner because there's a Yud which is its essence. That's the Olam Haba within the Olam Hazeh, the world to come that's within this world. 
The world was created with 10 statements to tell you that it's based on, its sustenance is based on whether it's going to be filled with the righteous or with the wicked. With the righteous who uphold the world, with the wicked who destroy it. And then there were 10 generations from Adam until Noah, the Mishnah says, which is exhibit A of the destruction of the world because of the lack of tzaddikim, the lack of the righteous. And 10 generations to Avram, who now saves the world and brings Hashem's presence back into the world. And then the Mishnah tells us that Avram had 10 nisyonos, 10 challenges, 10 tests, and he surpassed, he passed all the tests to tell you how precious Avram Avinu was. So again, we were building up the presence of the tzaddik. And then it says that there were 10 miracles which happened to the Jewish people in Mitzrayim and 10 at the Yamsuf, which again is just building up. And Chazal tell us, Nisim Nisyonos, challenges to Avram, miracles to the people. And I've shared with you before that the Nisoyon, the test, forces a person to do something that for themselves is not natural, against their nature, supernatural. They do it because there's a higher value which is there, and because Avram Avinu did that, therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu responded with miracles. He said, you said there's a higher value in the world, I'm here to say and to confirm that, that there's that higher value in the world, and I'm going to show my presence. But then what happens? Ten challenges the Jewish people mounted against HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the desert. As it says, and we read in the Parsha yesterday, Parsha Shlach, they tested me ten times, and as a result Hashem says, no, you're not going into the land. And what does the next Mishnah say? The next Mishnah says, there were ten miracles which happened in the Beis HaMikdash every day. So we usually pose this as a question. And we say, I don't understand. Avram had ten tests, he passed them, and therefore we had ten miracles in Mitzrayim. The Jewish people posed ten tests, and therefore we have ten miracles in the Beis HaMikdash. That's crazy. If we were posing ten tests, it means we were testing Hashem, we were doing it against Him. We don't deserve miracles for that. It's not symmetric. And the way we answer, we always answer the question in the same way. And that is that the ten miracles that happened in the Beis HaMikdash were, in a sense, there's an element of tragedy to that. Why is that? Why would it be a tragedy to have Hashem show His great miracles in the Mikdash? You know what the ten miracles that happened as a result of Avram's tests were? Ten miracles that happened in Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim is the land which is most removed from the presence of Hashem, right? It's the land of Kishuf, of sorcery, which is the other side. Kishuf, Chazal say, is makhish pamal yashamala. It defies the heavenly court. It goes against Hashem. And nevertheless, ten miracles happen there. The presence of Hashem went to every corner. Because Avram Avinu went out, he passed the test, he declared that Hashem was in the world. But when the Jewish people in the Midbar, in the desert, where there was nothing there but the presence of Hashem, what did we do test after test? We resisted the presence of Hashem. We don't like the Mun, which is the presence of Hashem. Right? We don't trust Hashem that He's going to take us into Eretz Yisrael. We constantly resisted the presence of Hashem. So Hashem said, you, you threw me out of the world. There shouldn't be any miracles. But I'm going to leave one corner where there are miracles. And that's in the Mishkan. As I've shared with some of you before, you know, sin makes it that holiness is not pervasive. It's in specific places, in a shevet called Levi, instead of in a Bukhar that's part of every household, in a building called the Migdash, instead of everywhere. The Migdash is the spot where Hashem's presence remains in a world that has been to some degree robbed of His presence. 
So maybe we can start to see why the Teva and the Mishkan are related. The Teva was in a world which was destroyed, robbed of Hashem's presence. The Teva would be that one little embassy of Hashem's presence that was there in the world. And the Mishkan was in a world robbed of Hashem's presence. And it would be that one place where Hashem's presence would be found. Yes. Salvage versus a beacon for the world? It's true. The Teva, as it was constructed, was not serving as a beacon. There were no windows that were open. The windows had to be closed. No water could come in during the Mabul. But eventually, from the Teva would come out the whole world. And of course, one of the things which would come out would be the Mizbeach. Right? The Balaturim writes right here that, you know, Vizeh is like the, like the Mizbeach. Like the Mizbeach. And uh, because it was coming to hint that Nayach would bring Korbanas. When Nayach was told to take seven of all the holy ones, says Rashi, why? So he would bring Korbanas. It's in a, hint, a sense a hint already to the Migdash. But they're both there. They're salvaging the presence of Hashem within the world. And this in itself, we could stop here, but we won't. We're going to take one more very meaningful step. And incredibly, to me at least, I hope it'll be meaningful for you as well, an incredibly meaningful step. There's a sefer called the Kuzri. You've heard of it. It was written by Rabbi Yudah Levi. Rabbi Yudah Levi wrote the Sefer HaKuzri. Um, and I, I want to read to you the first paragraph of it. You have it on your sheet if you wish. He wrote it in the 12th century. And uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful book of Jewish philosophy. Omar Yehuda ben Sholzal, Omar HaMachaber. People have asked me what we have to respond to the claims of others, philosophers and people of other faiths. And on the heretics who argue against the masses of the Jewish people. I remembered what I heard the claims of the chaver, of the chaver, that's what he's called throughout the story, the friend, the reliable sage that was with the king of the Khazars. Who converted to join the Jewish people some 400 years ago, as is known in the history books. By the way, if you want a history of the Khazars, all you have to do is go to the Palestinian Authority website, where they claim that the Jewish people who occupy Eretz Yisrael are not descendants of Abraham, but we are descendants of the Khazars. Right? And that's why we are interlopers. Right? We don't belong in the land. So they also, I guess, they learn the Kuzari. He had a repeated dream that came to him. A dream that as if it was an angel speaking to him and said, you mean well, but you're not doing the right things. He would do everything. He would worship using the methods familiar to the Khazars. He tried with such sincerity. And whatever he tried, he kept getting this dream. You mean well, but you're not doing the right thing. He, this moved him to explore various faiths and beliefs. And in the end, he became Jewish. Who? He, along with many people from his nation. And what he said, what this Chavar said to convince the king of the Khazars, 
I think makes good sense. I like it. And that's what I want to share with you. And so the Sefer Kuzari is built as the dialogue between the king who's searching for the truth and ultimately after a few attempts with a philosopher, with a Christian, with a Muslim, right, you know, in a bar, they end up, they end up, uh, he ends up speaking to the Jew and accepting his arguments and converting to join the Jewish people. That's it. All built around a dream. You mean well, but you're not doing the right thing. Where does he get the answer to this question? In a certain sense, throughout the book, he gets the answer to the question. But I'm going to share with you, specifically, what he writes about the Chet Egel, which is found towards the end of the first Mimer, paragraph Tzadivot, Tzadizayin. And I'll tell you what he says. <clears throat> I don't have, we don't have time to read it, but we have time to say it. And that is that the king asks him, I, I mean, you describe to me the magnificence of Yitzhiyaz Mitzrayim. You describe to me the magnificence of Matan Torah. But then what did, the, what did your people do shortly thereafter? They created and worshipped an idol, a golden calf. Like, what gives? What happened? Right, this is the question of Rabbi Levi and the Kuzari. And he answers and he says, that don't think for a second that the Jewish people forgot that God took them out of Mitzrayim. It was just was that they wanted a representation, something that they could see and something that they could look at. Like they had a fire at Harsinai. They wanted something they could see, they could look at forever. And they were waiting for Moshe Rabbeinu to come down. And that Moshe Rabbeinu would bring something like that to them. But Moshe Rabbeinu didn't come down when they expected him to. And so they were left without that sign, without any such indication. And they felt that they had to create something themselves. So therefore they went and they built for themselves something which would be their representation of the presence of Hashem. They wanted to worship God. They just needed a focal point for that worship. This wasn't denial of past history. This was a mistake in how you're supposed to serve Hashem. And what was the nature of that mistake? D-I-Y. The mistake was D-I-Y. What's D-I-Y? Anybody who answers that question is my B-F-F. D-I-Y is do it yourself. Do it yourself works if you want to build a sukkah. A sukkah is a mitzvah. Do it yourself doesn't work if you want to build something to be the presence of Hashem. To build the presence of Hashem, you need directions. You need instructions. Build it according to this path, according to that path, and then I will come. You want to mean well, you want to have good intentions, you want to be a nice person, a fine person, that's great. You know what the mushal he gives and he alludes to here? Is the fellow who really wanted to help sick, sick people. He really wanted to. So he went into a pharmacy and he started taking out medicines and he started giving them out to people. And he killed people. Because while he meant well, he didn't know the actual formula. And the formula to reach Hashem is as precise and as scientific as the formula to fight a microbe. It has to be precise and specific. Without it, you're aiming in the dark. You'd produce nothing. That was the mistake of the Jewish people. You can't build a mishkan to house the presence of Hashem if you don't get the recipe. Says the Kuzari in paragraph Tzadiches, you know something? Not only did you answer my question about the ego, you now answered my core question, my dream. What was my recurring dream? You mean well, but you're not doing the right things. If you want to just be someone who pays allegiance to a God that's up there someplace, great. But if you want to actually exercise and meet the spiritual dimensions of the world, then you got to get it on the nose. You need specific actions, specific formulae. 
And those have to be revealed. And only the Jewish people were privileged to have them revealed to us. If you want the presence of Hashem, you have to do it according to the formula exactly. If you have a chance, read this section of the Kuzri. The Kuzri is also available in English. You can find it again, paragraphs 96, 98 in the first section. I'm just going to end with you because I have to get going with something which it says in the Balaturim in Parshas Pekude. Amazing. The Balaturim notes that in Parshas Pekude it says, Kasher Tziva Hashem as Moshe, when they carried out the building of the mission, they did it as Hashem instructed Moshe. You know how many times it says it? 18 times. What does that correspond to, said the Balaturim? Corresponds to the 18 brachas of the Shmanasri. That's why they established 18 brachas of the Shmanasri. Why? We used to have a Mishkan, which was built according to Hashem's specifications, and Moshe did it as Hashem instructed him, and that's why it was the place where we met Hashem. Now we don't have a Migdash anymore. What do we do in place? We daven. But we have to meet Hashem in our davening. Davening isn't a way to remind ourselves of Hashem. Davening isn't a way to reflect on our own deeds or misdeeds. Davening is meeting. Is amida bifnei Hashem to stand in front of Hashem? How do you do that? There has to be a prescription. It has to be defined. So just like the Mishkan was the 18, as Hashem instructed Moshe, we say tefillah is the same. That's why tefillah is the first and foremost. It's not expression, it's subordination. I recognize there's a God. I have to fit him in order to, for it to be able to work. And of course, therefore, we understand why the teva had to be with specific dimensions. Yeah, the teva was a miracle. The teva was salvaging the presence of Hashem in a world which was being destroyed because of its absence. And the only way you can salvage it is if you get Hashem's instruction. You get the dimensions provided by Hashem. Hashem says, this is what it should look like. This is what it should be. And then it'll be filled with the presence of Hashem. So while the, the Kliyok are focused on the specific aspects of morality bringing within it the presence of Hashem, which is certainly true, here's another dimension of the Mishkan. Commandment. To have the presence of Hashem, you need to hear from Hashem how it will work. If you do it this way, then I will come. That's why the Mishkan is so defined. And that's why the Teva is so precisely defined. Okay. That's what I wanted to share with you today. Yeah.